0: Let's take our Bibles at this time and turn to Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is often said to be a psalm of thanksgiving and used appropriately at the occasion of Thanksgiving Day. It's called a psalm of thanksgiving. As far as I know, this is the only place that has this subheading in the whole Psalter, a Psalm of Thanksgiving, at least according to the Hebrew language. Let's sing, or let's uh, read all the verses, and that will be our text. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Thus far we read Psalm one hundred. First thing we need to remember is that long before the World Wide Web there was worldwide worship. For God is the God who has ordained that all would know him, and that there would be, among the all who know him, worship. God is the God who made the heavens and the earth that the heavens and the earth might bend the proverbial knee, and humans might bend their real knees, and angels their angel knees. All must bend the knee before God and worship Him. And even today, why God saves people, and you and I, why He saves us, is that we might worship Him. We need to hear this song, because I don't know about you, worship, though it is God's will, is the hardest thing on the planet to do. It is something that is a divine work, and that if there is to be worship among us, it must be a divine work in us and through us, characterizing not only the outward appearance and our going to church and dressing up, but the inward heart. And so, beloved, at the occasion of baptism, we want to consider Psalm 100, which we could title something that has to do with the worship. And I'm going to entitle it the Worldwide Worship of the Family of God, Because you'll note, the psalmist is calling all the lands, not just Israel, all the lands to make a joyful shout to the Lord. And there is a reason for this, His glory known in all the world, and we'll see this presently. But there are outstanding features of this psalm that tell us that a kind of worship that is becoming the people of God is that it's full of joy, that it's full of holiness, and that it is something that has to do with families. The occasion for my choosing this text for baptism was because the family itself, the Myers family, the little ones even, are now presently memorizing Psalm 100. And this is certainly a beautiful thing to see among the covenant children, and this is something that reminds us that, yes, indeed, the children are those who bring forth praise and worship God as well. So for our worship and the worship of our children, let's consider the worldwide worship of the family of God. I want to consider that this involves knowing the Lord, first of all, and that He is God, as verse 3 tells us. We are to know the Lord and that He is God. Second, it involves entering into His presence, We are to come before his presence with singing, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise, describing the access that we have, the approach that we ought to make to the living God in our worship. And finally, we want to consider that this is a family thing. God's mercy is everlasting, final verse, and his truth endures to all generations. Witness this. Be this family of God, and let's be as a family and call the families of the earth to the worship of God by our witness. A center verse here, central to the how of worship, is that the people that's called to worship, shout to the Lord from all the lands, is called to know that the Lord, He is God. You'll notice in the verses prior to this make a joyful shout to the Lord there is this exhortation serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence and then afterwards in verse 4 there's an enter into his gates with thanksgiving a call to be thankful to him and so on but central to that first part and to that last part is verse 3 that says know that the Lord he is God and this I submit to your attention and pondering is absolutely critical if we would worship God rightly as Jesus says in spirit and in truth. We are to know that the Lord Jehovah God the I am that I am that's the name that God reveals to Israel Lord all in capitals were to know that he is God and you could say that's all capitals too, a capital G-O-D, God. And what the psalmist is doing here is setting forth the truth that God is worthy to be worshipped, that this is all something very important. His worth demands that he be worshipped. This is the idea, that's where that name worship comes from. There's a God who's worth our attention and our devotion. Worship is that attention and devotion to God. We could say consecration to God, setting apart of ourselves and all that we are to our attention on God and to doing what's pleasing to Him. That's what worship is. It's many faceted, but indeed, this is central to it. And it's all because we know something about God. We know something about the Lord. He is truly God. And that means, of course, he's above the creation that he has made. For notice what the psalmist does right away. He dissociates God from the rest of the creation in in saying that he is a being above it. When he says, it's he who made us and not we ourselves. And so he's saying he's not the created one. He's the creature. Or, excuse me, he is the creator, And we are the created ones. So, he's the most high God, as the Bible says elsewhere. Transcendent, as we learn in our theology classes and our Reformed doctrine. God is God. He's not someone who is a being like all other beings, dependent upon us. Notice, when the psalmist says that God made us and not we ourselves, it's describing God as the God who is the absolute creator. There are no self-made people. God makes people, and he makes them to be his own people as well. So God is great and greatly to be praised, as the psalmist says elsewhere. He's also this God who is good. Verse 5 says, the Lord is good, and he has virtues that are applied to us so that he shows mercy. Verse 5. Mercy, which is the Hebrew chesed, which means a whole host of virtues. Love and mercy and kindness and all of that together. But here it's said that God's mercy is such that he never takes it away. He's a God who loves and helps those in need. He pities people. That's what mercy is. And he is the God who can do this because he's God. And it's from everlasting. He never takes it away. Mercy in God's showing it is not dependent upon whether we're worthy to be helped. He simply helps because he is the merciful God. And he's faithful to himself and to his promises and everything else he's said because his truth endures to all generations. The last clause of the psalm. His truth, that is, his faithfulness. God is God today and God is God tomorrow and God is God the next day, because with God, He knows the end from the beginning, and there are no tomorrows, and there are no yesterdays. He's the eternally present God. This is the God whom we know who truly is God, unchangeable, infinite, eternal, independent, not needing us, and He's known in His works as the God who makes us, It is he who has made us and not we ourselves and the God who calls us to redemption and salvation. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now this is the God that is celebrated today. Celebrated and and recognized today as the God of a little infant and a God of a family and a growing family. God of mercy and God of faithfulness to the Myers family, and to them in the generations. We're witnessing this. It is something to behold. Merciful is this God to the church because when one is added to a physical family, one is added to the church of Jesus Christ. Family is celebrated here not just of flesh and blood, but a family that God makes, a family which is family and friends together in Christ Jesus. And it is a blessing... And I hope it's not lost upon you. When the family, an earthly family, and an earthly church is visited by those who would support the the family in this baptism and celebrate it, it's a blessing. And may you be blessed by attending to the means of grace with us and witnessing what God does. It is all an amazing, amazing event. Know that the Lord, he is God, known for whom he is in himself as God, and known as the creator, and known as the redeemer. In fact, he's known wherever he wants himself to be known, and that is in all the world. All the world is, is crying out the virtues of God. Too bad so many people don't recognize this, and they suppress the truth of God. Under, they hold it down in unrighteousness. They don't want it to get out, to get out what the, the stones themselves would cry out that God is God, or that the children themselves will cry out to the praises of God in Jesus Christ. But God has himself known. And that's striking because the text says, know him. It doesn't say you know him. It calls us to know him. Know that the Lord, he is God. Well, how, beloved, can we... Know the Lord, that he is God, if, well, how can we be told to do that if we we just do? We just know that. And in one sense, it's true. Everyone knows God. But what's being identified here is a kind of knowledge that's so important, an intimate sort of knowledge. Know the facts about God. Come to church, and you'll find it all out here from the Bible, and the minister will open the Bible, and yes, you say amen to that, because you can read your Bible yourself. Learn from catechism, learn from your children how to recite Psalm 100. Do that, very important. Learn from the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts and and learn the things of God because we're all in this together. But then, why is it that we're called, called to know that the Lord is God? Well, he's addressing a problem here. And the problem is we forget what we know Or we are like the heathen who just suppress what we know. Or we deny what we know. So the text is saying here, there's something fundamental. If you would dare to enter into the presence of God, know that he's God. Remember that he's most high. Remember, you're not self-made Christians. You're God-made Christians. You're graced if you'll ever stand before God. Know that the Lord is your God or you're a dead man. Know God in Jesus, that's the point. Because here, look, they're called to enter the point of contact, the place of contact where God says you will know him, the temple. Enter into the gates of the temple, the courts of the temple, And as children of God, we have access even to the Holy of Holies. Enter that place. Enter the place where God especially has made himself known as the God of gods and your God, your Savior God. No God in Jesus. After all, this Old Testament psalm here written in Old Testament language is Old Testament psalm in Old Testament language speaking of an Old Testament temple, speaking of a New Testament revelation that is to come. Emmanuel, the new temple of God, the place where God would fix his own identity and light shine in a man, a sinless man, who's a God, the God, who becomes man. And so his body becomes this temple. He becomes this place in which all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, Colossians says. And to behold him, therefore, is to behold this walking Shekinah glory that Old Testament liked, that would come down upon the tabernacle and and the temple and, and would Fill the place with the glory of God. Well, that's Jesus. And so John says, we behold his glory. We beheld his glory when he first came. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the temple, I say. And that's, where well, you know God. The only God. The scripture's God. The God who makes us and the God who saves us and makes us his sheep shepherds us through all of life's difficulties and those of our own making, too, when we, like sheep, go astray. We are to know the Lord, and that's the facts of the Lord. But that's with the love of the Lord, that word Yada in the Hebrew, know that the Lord, he is God. Same word used when Adam first knew Eve, and they conceived the knowledge of love. And with regard to marriage, the marriage bond, the intimacy of marriage pictured in knowing someone. God would say through Amos to the people of God, you only have I known of all the peoples of the earth, to know God knew them, having foreknown them, having loved them, to know was to love them. And now the call is, know God, love him back. That's the point. And that's what we teach our children all the day long and all the years we have them in our roof, and we still do. We teach you children to love God who loves you, and we teach you to know God and to worship God because he's worth worshiping. He's the great God. So, how do we do that? We know that the Lord, he is God, revealed in Jesus. And he's the God of our children, too. He saves covenantally, we and our children, not everyone, but from their midst, he saves his own. And we trust God for that. We leave the increase to him. Well, the psalmist says, knowing that the Lord, he is God, it's he who made us, not we ourselves, we're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter, come before his presence with singing, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. I talk about this entering just for a little bit. Enter into his gates. Now, this is uh, something that might seem a little hard to grasp uh, right away. I'll try not to make it harder than it is, but in itself it seems hard. You know, this entering or coming before the presence of God with singing and all of this that involves a kind of movement is something that doesn't seem to be necessary. That's the first problem. Because if we're to come before his presence and enter into his gates and therefore into his presence, why is it that we have to do that if he's he's God? He's everywhere present. So how can we not be present with God or in his presence and have to come before his presence and somehow open a door to enter into the presence of God. How does that happen? Because we do believe God is everywhere, presence. One of the Psalms especially celebrates that, Psalm 139. And that's so wonderful to know. If you're in a hospital bed or if you're in, in a cave somewhere, if you've fallen off a cliff, God's there too. But what is this event called entering the presence of God then? Or coming before his presence? What is that? But then another, another problem, of course, is this. We're sinful. And if worship is anything, and the God we worship is anything, it's, there's something that's sacred about it that means it's a daring and bold activity to be sure, because God, whose God is holy, and we're sinful. And God, who is holy, cannot behold iniquity except to punish it. And hell exists forever because God is there in his presence to punish the sinners who rejected God and who were not covered by the blood. So there's some awesome things in this exhortation. Know that the Lord is God. Love him. Right. But now... Come before his presence. Why? How? How? Oh, beloved, that's something to do with knowing that the Lord is God. Maybe everything. Like knowing that he loves you so that you might love him and trust him that you're not going to die if you come into his presence. Like knowing him and trusting it enough and teaching your children that Jesus' blood covers every naughtiness, every sin. Jesus' blood. He died for you. And he's the one who said, there's a new and living way, Hebrews 10, to come even far more intimately than a high priest could, and all of Israel could not because they weren't appointed into that holy place and to enter into the presence of God and not die but live. What's being described here is not, you see, an ordinary being in the presence of God, but it's this conscience, conscious realization of simply being God's all the time. So that in this conscious realization, in this activity, let's call it a faith, there's movement toward God. Faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, joins us us intimately to God through Jesus Christ. And... As we exercise faith, there's this movement up, this movement ahead, this movement in the light, this approach to God. And I'm walking across the stage here. But in your mind and in the reality of your heart, this is something is real, more real than the nose on the end of your face. It's the reality that God makes of the Spirit and the worship of God in spirit and in truth. So that, yes, if you had a cold, you had to be kept from church or something, you can still enter into the presence of God without moving from your bed. Because God so wants us to worship, so loves us that we might worship, because in His presence is fullness of joy. And in his presence, we get to hear God say, I love you, I love you. And kiss us goodnight. And wake us up in the morning. Amazing. The movement of the temple people who were called from all the lands to enter that one special place, the courts of God, is typical pictures in an Old Testament way, the movement of the people of God now in the Spirit every day by faith. And in special ways, and this is connected with this entering, in special ways where there's special places like church, may not be interpreted or misinterpreted that the reverend is preaching here. This is spiritual entering the presence and there's there's no means anymore. There's no earthly temple. There's no earthly place. There is, beloved. Because in another sense, the temple that has been realized fully in Jesus' humanity is realized in the church and it's very much humanity, and in the gathering of the people of God in that, that place called the congregation to which is given the keys of the kingdom of heaven, access to God, to the elders of the church, the local congregation. So you come before his presence with singing and so on by coming to Church. It's not automatic that you're coming into the presence of God. I fear that many people who come to church go away from God as they come to church. Isn't that strange? Say, for example, there's a false church down the road somewhere, whatever, and there are many of them, beloved, many false churches. You can't come into the presence of God in them by coming to them and expecting to hear truth, and you're just being fed a lie. Many churches, be glad that you're given discernment to discern a true church. A church that preaches that Jesus is not God is a false church. You will not learn from that church the way of God and the highness of God. You will learn to exalt man and not God. Where there's a health and wealth gospel, you won't learn about what God provides in Jesus Christ. You learn something else from some other God and You won't learn the good news as it it is in Jesus, the necessary thing to know. But in church, he does spread the table, administer the sacraments, feed us with the word preached, and confirm us in that faith by supper and by baptism and in our communion so that we are taught And helped to believe all the more and so that our Christianity may thrive and we are this constantly entering into the presence of God and living koram deo, before the face of God, as people say, aware that He's here all the time and He's there all the time and He's going where I'm going all the time and He's coming to meet me. And he's in the hospital, and he's on the trip, and he's, he's in my bedroom, and he's here in the church building, and he's down the street. You know that. And you know then, too, it's so appropriate that we are happy when we come into his presence. This is a main keynote of the psalm. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. This all speaks of joy. And how, how is it then that we're so glum why does that seem to be the easiest thing to be? And not just Monday morning or dreary Michigan winters, but all the time. We're the weary, dreary ones. Why is that? Complaining seems to be not our second nature, but our first nature. Why is that? I don't know, beloved. I just know that it's my tendency. And I know it's something that the devil wants to to get out of us. That's joy. Oh, he might replace it with some kind of giddiness and, and, you know, being just a laughing church and not a holy church, or just giddy and flippant Christians instead of holy in our happiness, but... On the other hand, he wants us to have nothing of it, nothing then of faith that's a certain knowledge and a hearty assurance that I am not my own and I don't belong to circumstances, good or bad. He wants the joy part out of it. You know why? Because he wants that heart of the worship out of our worship. And the heart of our worship is... The spiritual joy and vitality, because the kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The devil wants us to take all our fears and our cares wherever we go, and God says, Leave them with me. Don't be as Christian in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, who has this load on his back. Are some of you carrying a load on your back? Maybe it's a past. Maybe it's a present load. Usually, it has to do with the future. We're gathering what-ifs of the future into our little sack that we carry around and making going forward just about impossible. Full of anxieties. And I don't know if women have this problem more than men or men more than, than women, but we all have those problems. Look at the Sermon on the Mount no less than ten reasons not to worry. and One of them is, fear not, little flock, it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To restore your joy, please remember this, the truth that God is your God. God is your God. He's working all things for your good because he sent his Son for your good. And he's not the God who works by halves. He gives you the whole shipload of heaven, as it were, everything in it. His son, he emptied it all because he would show his love to you, take you into his own presence, and have you come into his own presence. He knows you that you might know him. He forgives you that you might forgive. He is merciful to you that you might be helped. He's faithful to you that you might never waver in your faithfulness to him. Now, that's the joyous and happy life also for worship. Much more could be said. I just want to say this. It's as happy as our worship and holy as well has to do with holiness. Cannot bring sin into our worship experience, into our worship reality. Leave sin at the door. Leave your cares at the door and sin at the door, and don't pick it up as you go out. Now a word about families. The occasion of this sermon, these reflections upon worship, is the baptism of a child into a family. To family Myers and to the family of God at Sovereign Grace, into the worldwide family of Christians, of believers and their seed. Beautiful thing. The fact that there is this truth that's being taught here of God making families worship is that His mercy is said to be everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Not just it endures for all time, but in families, father, son, grandfathers, sons, daughters, and so on, grandsons. That's how God works. He's the God of Israel. Abraham and his seed are blessed in him. And to a thousand generations, this is the same thing in the New Testament. The Baptists do have it wrong. They they short-circuit the grace of God the grace of God is wide in the New Testament to all nations beyond Israel, and it's still as deep as the families. He doesn't cut that off when he, wants to, when he says the nations will be saved and not just Israel. He's not saying, well, now just individuals are saved. No, he's blessing our families. And that's why when the covenant family would bring its children to Jesus, Jesus said to the disciples, he said, Get out of here. He doesn't have time for them. He said, oh, yes, I do. That's why I live. That's why I die. That's why I rise. That my truth might be known among the most vulnerable and the most helpless and those born in sin to show that I'm the God and Savior of mercy. Children, they don't know their right from their left. They don't know. Look at this that the Lord, he is God. They don't even know that. But God makes them to be worshipers. And he knows who are his. Beautiful. So to the father and to the mother with the father, Be a family man. Be a family man. That's what God's called you to be and blessed you to be. Love those children. And the first way you do that is love your wife. That's how it works. The children see the love that you have for an adult, your companion for life, and they learn the example of unconditional love that never grows stale, that gives, that spends time, that is full of gentleness and compassion, love your wife, love your husband, and love all those little ones that God gives you. Or if he gives one, he's given you four so far. Praise God. Love those children. Love is spelled, as I've said before, T-I-M-E, or it makes no sense. Love shows itself in giving time going for walks pulling sleds all these new things amazing and you see in a very real sense the world would say that's a waste of time you're not very productive with children are you <laughs> wow you don't get anything done with children do you well You know, it's kind of like worship. One has even said, worship is a royal waste of time. Worship is a royal waste of time. And that word royal means it's the king of wastes of times. You want to know how to waste time? And it's even not just killing time. It's just wasting time. You go to church and you come and you go through all of the motions and so on, and you shut your eyes, and you can't see this God, and you don't see the fruit of it so often, and there's this minister ranting and raving on the pulpit and saying, Thus saith the Lord, only because he has this book that he's leaning upon and exegeting, and everybody's believing him, and they are so Oh, they even believe it when he says they're sinners. And they believe that there is this God who came, and he's born of a virgin, no sex involved. And they believed, and they believe, and they perpetuate to all generations the lie, and they say, well, worship of this God, a royal waste of time. Look what happens to, same thing that happens to the world, happens to the church, it says it's so holy, and that it's God loves them, a royal waste of time. Why do you waste your time? It's kind of like raising a family. Why do you waste your time with time? Why don't you just send them off to school or have the television be the babysitter? Oh, beloved, you know better, don't you? And we know better. It's the greatest use of time there can be, the greatest investment. No returns except the rewards of grace. And I say to your brother and sister, your son and daughter, press on and press on in the often not noticed joys of motherhood and duties of motherhood. What a wonderful thing when a family can worship, when sinners are converted, and it's often through the tutelage of mother who cares for those little ones, who knows them and cares for them and loves them unconditionally and freely, the mama bear who will protect the son and the daughter, the one who cares and has his heart of God. What a beautiful thing. And then you are part of the church family, to be sure. Families that have no regard or very little regard for the church family end up being selfish, very opinionated. We need each other. Individuals and families, we need each other. It's a family of God. It's a beautiful thing to have in a church, a family church, a church that's a family. You love each other. You receive every kind of person, not just the ones of flesh and blood, but you You receive every kind. Because you know what? We're not called here to be this club. We're called to be this worshiping community. That's it. There's a God who knows us and we know God. And we know that the Lord, he is God. And that he's made us all. And we're sheep together. And that's all we are. And Jesus is our shepherd together. And our savior together. Not one of us is any better than the other. We're all a bunch of cripples. We're all a bunch of, you know, special needs students, slow learners. And all is about the worship of the God who says, I love you anyway, together, so be together. And then even because the family is so big, call the world, call the world. Be your own family, be the church family. Remember that God gives you to call the world to make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands, come to the worship of God, will you? Come to the worship of God, knowing the forgiveness that is in Jesus. Come, whatever your nationality, whatever your color, whatever your creed, now come to the living God. Enter into his presence with singing, thanksgiving, and joy through faith in Jesus. Come. Be a worldwide worshiping community and family of God. Won't you come? Come and know life eternal and peace in the house of God. Only when you're called, as right now, you're called right now and so am I, to come into God's presence. Make sure you come running, Amen. Our Father, we pray your blessing. Help us to be your people, to be your worshiping people, your happy, holy, worshiping people. Help us to know you in Jesus, our God, our Savior. Help this family to know this as they presented a son to you in baptism. Bless us all together as we celebrate, as we go from this place. May we go from this place unto you, wherever we go. And may we be assured that you are with us, meeting us and loving us and guiding us closer and closer till you will come again and our being with you will be glorious and sinless And happy indeed. Lord, forgive our sins of preaching and hearing. Humble us all, but encourage us, Lord. Oh, we need it. Restore the joy. There's so much sadness in our life, so much distraction, so many webs that we ourselves weave, and so many pitfalls into which we fall. Bless us, Lord, with the knowledge of forgiveness, the clean slate, the righteousness of Christ. In his name we pray, amen.